there. Didn't see it come in. It's me, Stephen Foxworthy, and this is the Disenfranchised Podcast, where that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, the aforementioned Stephen Foxworthy, and joining me, as always, the Cato to my Green Lantern is my co-host, Tucker. Hey, Tucker. Hi, Stephen. How's it going? It goes, man. How are you? I'm I'm all right. Busy, but good. We should note here that our uh, our co-host, uh, Brett Wright, has been uh, kidnapped by some unsavory gangsters in Los Angeles. Uh, we wish him a very speedy recovery. Absolutely. Um, but Tucker, we are here. Um, this is we, we kind of ended up stumbling backwards into an unofficial theme month. Uh, we had something else planned for this week, and unfortunately, um, the guest that we had was unable to join us this evening, although we do plan on having them back very soon to discuss the movie we were planning to discuss today. So instead, Tucker, we opted to just make this an unofficial theme month by covering what? 2011's Michel Gondry's The Green Hornet. Yes, the 2011 Michel Gondry film, The Green Hornet. That is a film that happened that you all probably forgot happened, but that doesn't change the fact that it did. Directed, of course, as we said, by Michel Gondry, based on characters created by George W. Trendle and Fan Fran, excuse me, Stryker, uh, with a screenplay by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, and starring the aforementioned Seth Rogen, Jay Chow, uh, Cameron Diaz, Tom Wilkinson, Christoph Waltz, David Harbour, Edward James Olmos, Jamie Harris, Chad Coleman, Edward Ma fucking Furlong, and in an uncredited, uncredited cameo at the top of the film, one Mr. James Franco. What a cast, Tucker. What a picture. Yeah, I would say, yeah, what a cast and, and basically what a picture, yeah. So basically, we've we've managed to cover in a bass backwards roundabout way four comic books slash superhero movies this month, uh, which was not our intention going in. It just kind of mm. happened that way. Uh, so this making this kind of an unofficial theme month and the last two weeks, kind of their own special miniseries of 2011 films based on superheroes with green in the title. It's all green, baby. It's all, it's green. all green, baby. I mean, look, it's better than the green bee. I'll say that at least. Um, Tucker, what is your history with the Green Hornet as a property with this film in specific? Like what what brings you to the Green Hornet? This was a movie you confided in me in the in the text thread earlier that was uh, one that you enjoyed. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. um, So I've I've always kind of been familiar with the character of the green hornet um originally from uh the guest spots on the original batman tv series with adam west mm-hmm. that's kind of how i found out that that existed and then um Same. in my late teens it until today i've had a quiet obsession with old-timey radio programs uh so i have dipped into that a bit um, but I think the biggest draw for me in this film when I saw it originally, and I did see this at the movie theater when it came out, nice. um, my biggest draw was that it was directed by Michel Gondry. Um, and he is 
my second favorite music video director of all time. And I mean, he uh, was so, kind of the shit when he was first like hitting the ground in Hollywood. Like he, he kind of came in swinging. Got some great stuff. Um, and another movie that for me, uh, topic wise, done does not age well, but but still, every time I watch it, it gets better. Mm-hmm. Is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? Like I right. relate less with the characters every time that I watch it. But just the way that it's made and the visual style of it and the direction of it just like blows my mind every fucking time I see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've always I've always loved him as a director. Um, he did Be Kind Rewind, which is another fucking forgotten masterpiece. Have never seen it. Was aware of it when it came out, but just never saw it. So let me tell you about it just real quick. Quick sidebar, Be Crying Rewind um, stars Jack Black and Mo's Def. Mm-hmm. And they work at a video store. Now and known through, as Yasin Bey. Through an, an, an act of God, all their videotapes get erased. So they have to remake all of these movies. Like just themselves with like a video camera and whatever they have lying around. And it is the most wholesome Sweetest, most beautiful thing you'll ever see, Stephen. Go watch Be Kind Rewind right now. I'll wait. Sounds good. Well, see you guys next week. Stephen's going to go watch Be Kind Rewind. Uh, This has been our episode on The Green Hornet. And bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Um, No, uh, I I will have to check it out because, look, I... I have seen, as I mentioned to you in the text thread, I've seen two Michel Gondry movies in my life. And this is the first one I ever rewatched. The Green Hornet is the first one I ever rewatched. Uh, I watched Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind one time in college after okay. it had been released on a digital video disc. And then uh, my mother gifted me this in like an Easter basket or something when it, uh, shortly after it came out. Uh, and I remember watching it that day and being so unimpressed that I, I think I ended up selling it to Half Price Books not long after was just generally unimpressed by this film as a whole was kind of, I, I, in fact, I was, I was so unimpressed by it. I kind of checked out on it early and was just kind of like doing other things while it was on, um, was just really not to, but so I actually watched it today. And, um, as I mentioned to you in the text thread better than I remember, maybe because I was actually that. watching it this time. Michelle Gondry, man, there's uh, speaking of Michelle Gondry, another recommendation that you have to put on the priority list while you have access to Showtime, Stephen. Is the series Kidding, uh, which is a series the Jim Carrey show. Two, yeah, there were like two or three seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michelle Gondry directed eight episodes of that. It's about Jim Carrey. He plays kind of a Mr. Rogers type. Right. And it, it, it delves into the dichotomy of that, like the duality, I guess, of, you know, living that life of being that person on screen and then dealing with like real adult things right. on camera. Yeah. And it's really, really good. I think it's hands down Jim Carrey's best performance. Oh, OK. Interesting. He is so good in that show. Um, I kind of want to do a rewatch because I keep thinking about it and I keep being like, man, I want to watch that again because it was just so fucking good. Okay. 
Yeah, I'll have to check it out. And, and I made a list of Michel Gondry films. I think there's like nine feature length films that he he and he alone directed. So I, I will have to check those out. Um, and f- including many I had never even heard of before, like The Science of Sleep. And um, yes, that movie the, is so badass. The Book of uh, The Book of Solutions, which just came out earlier this year. Like he's. He's a, he's a guy who's done, but he's also done a lot of like he was th- like a, a preeminent music video director. Like his music video, he is, he's well, so stacked. I'll tell you what, he's he got directed some good the, like a Rolling Stone video for the Rolling Stones, which is a fucking great video. I love that video. He, he directed a lot of White Stripe videos too, which is which is why you have they're in the soundtrack on this movie. Theme. Yeah, yeah. Like his white stripe videos, fell in love with a girl, fucking classic. I don't know if you've seen that video, Mm-mm. but it's it's Lego animation before Lego animation was a thing. Mm. But it's done to where like instead of having Lego figures, it's like the the backdrop is it's Lego. I don't know how to I mm, I don't know how to explain it. I feel like we have to watch it right now, but I don't. That would slow things down. That really that would send it to a crawl. That that's like something we would do on Patreon. You know, we might have to when this is over. We might have to do a commentary to that music video. Depends on what time we finish. Yeah. Ah, title but of if, my sex tape. Hey, hey. If we're gonna, if we're gonna go deep on on Michel Gondry, we we might be here too. Because look, I mean, it, as late as it is for me, it's an hour later for you, and I just have well, to let keep me tell that in you. Mind. Let me tell you something about Michel Gondry, which is something that's very weird mm-hmm. about this movie, because I feel like this is one of the only films that he's ever made where not all of the effects are done in camera. Like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotlight Mind. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. There's no digital effects in that movie, Steve. Mm-hmm. That's all in camera. Be Kind right. Rewind. That's all in camera. Kidding. All of that. All of his music videos. It's all done practically. It's fucking amazing. This movie feels in a very big way like his swing at a more mainstream film career. And I think had this film not cost so much to make, it probably could have been. Mm -hmm. Because it was not unsuccessful. It just was not successful compared to expectations, which is kind of a Hollywood problem these days. Uh, which Very we much, especially into. these days. I yeah. recently talked about that when we talked about the most recent Flash movie. Right. That movie did gangbusters, but on that budget, it was a fucking bomb, dude. Mm-hmm. Bomb. Which means we could probably cover it for our end of year retrospective would, failed franchise starter. I would love to hear what you guys have to say about that movie, because I had an absolute fucking blast. With I haven't movie. seen it. I'm waiting for it to hit max. Which is pretty much well, what I do with superhero movies these days. In a I week, wait till they hit like, max. I think the twenty fifth is when it hits max. Okay. Yeah, next Friday, dude. So like the day after this episode drops, right on. Yup. Oh yeah. So yeah, maybe I'll watch it then. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Who knows? Not me. Who knows? I'm, I don't know. We'll see. Future isn't written yet, man. That's right. No one's is. Um. But yeah, I so I. That is that's my history with Michelle Gondry now as to the character of the black or the green hornet. Black Hornet, what the hell? Green Hornet. Um watch that movie. That'd be cool. Um yeah. I my familiarity be I, I think I started figuring out who he was when I watched a documentary about Bruce Lee. 
and okay, realized yeah, that he that, was Kato in the series. Yeah. Right. And I never heard of this before. And I was like, how have I never heard of this before? And they showed pictures of him in like with like the Adam West Batman and Burt Ward Robin and the two of them in there. And I was like, oh, I've never heard of this guy. So I kind of became a little interested. Um, saw some uh, some comics with him as I got older and then realized that there's a connection between that character and Trendle's other creation, the Lone Ranger, in that they're straight up related, yo. There, it's his like the Green Hornet is his great nephew, great grandnephew, or something. Like it's kind of fucking wild. So the original MCU, right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and again, I, I as I mentioned on um, on last week's episode, I think it was um, your boy, or no, it wasn't on last week. It was on um, it was on my appearance last week on High on Cartoons, is what it was. Uh, this past week's episode, go check it out. Um, but I, I, your boy loves shared universes and always has. Like, I love that shit. I eat that shit with a spoon. Um, and so, like, I was just like, wait, these characters are connected? Fuck yes, this is the best. Uh, and since they're all in the public domain, you can pretty much do whatever the fuck you want with any of those characters right now, which is fucking awesome. So if you wanted to put, like, the two of them... And like not Doc Savage because Doc Savage is owned by Condé Nast, but you could like take a bunch of those pulp heroes and like pop them on a team together and just do just do that shit. Like you could absolutely make that happen, and that is fucking exciting as hell to me. Um, But no, I was kind of interested in the character, and then I saw that this movie was coming out, and I didn't, I didn't know what to do with this movie when it first came out because. I mean, we're it's this is like we said last week, this is the year before the M, the the culmination of the first phase of the MCU, the Avengers. So like the Marvel movies are kind of picking up steam, but you've also got the Christian Bale Batman movies running concurrently with those. So there are these two veins of comic book movies. X-Men's going on. Not as X-Men. not as strong. When is first class? Um, I'm going to look that up right now. It's possible that I'm wrong, but I feel like no that, first that class is also this year is also 2011. Um, X-Men first class is also 2011 would have loved to see what Matthew Vaughn did with an X-Men trilogy. Um, fuck he who must not be named for destroying that. Um, but you've got like that really. So, I mean, this is kind of an, this is the year I think that, is trying to figure out like, this is the year where we're fighting for the future of the superhero movie. And then the next year is where that battle really takes place when it's Avengers versus dark Knight rises. And eventually Avengers overtakes it and becomes the new normal for superhero movies going forward. Um, but this movie feels, it feels kind of lost. Cause this movie will, and we'll get into this has been in development hell for, 20 years by the time it finally comes out like they start kicking around the notion in 1992 and then it doesn't get made till 2011 like that's a long run time for this movie we'll talk about actors directors everything that was in that process but like this movie got kicked around so much the rights changed hands so many times the tone of the bitch changed so many times that by the end of it what we're left with feels really unfocused and most of my complaints about this movie come from the script um there are moments that i find really enjoyable and really 
glorious and the filmmaking itself is really well done, but the script just is, it can't focus on any one thing. It's trying to do too many things. And it feels like it's borrowing a lot from these past iterations of all these different scripts and trying to make something cohesive out of it and ultimately not really hitting that mark in my mind. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree with you on that. I think, um, I don't think it's a bad script. Uh, like I said, uh, I, like I said, I would say, mm-hmm. I think that this would work a lot better if they made it now as a television series, because mm-hmm. those, those switches in tone work a lot better from episode to episode than they do in one thing, you know? And you can take your time and tell the story that way, which absolutely when you've got a two hour runtime, unfortunately, when you've got like a two hour runtime, you're trying to hit that runtime and stick that landing. That's never going to be an easy thing to accomplish. Now, by this point, Rogan and Goldberg, the screenwriters have super bad and pineapple express under their belts. So like they're pretty well established as a comedy writing duo at this point but this is their first foray into something that maybe is not explicitly comedic on its face that because they're the guys writing it, it ends up kind of having a comedic slant to it. Well, I I think, I think they kind of proved themselves with pineapple express in a way to where they could take their comedy writing and still make some pretty good and and well-made action set pieces as mm-hmm. well. And that's the thing about this movie is you've got two hours, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a whole lot of story, but you also, you, you got, you have to, it. The, this is the kind of movie that you have to have those action set pieces, man. And right. every single one is mind-blowing and they nail every single one, mm-hmm. which is we need more of the in-between. You, we yes. need more of it and we need it to, to be paced better. The pacing is so off. The The whole movie, the pacing is so fucking off. This movie starts off with a bang, and then in mm-hmm. the middle, you're like, I might take a nap. And then, like, maybe 10 minutes later, you're like, okay, I'm back into this. What's up? Mm-hmm. Like, it's all over the fucking place. It is. And, and again, I think unfocused is the right word. Uh, and I that's not my word. I read that in a, a review as I was researching for this. Um, gloriously unfocused, I think was what it said. It was, was what the the line was. And honestly, that works. That works really well because this movie is not, it's not cohesive. Like it, it's, it, there's a perfunctory female character because we kind of need one. Um, I guess. <laughs> question mark. I mean, Cameron she, Diaz needs a job, I guess. Like, <laughs> let's, you on. know what? Let's fucking talk Cameron Diaz. Cause this is. If if memory serves, this is toward the end of her big screen run. Um, she kind of retires a few years after this. Um, so yeah, she retires in 2014 after she does Annie in 20. 20- well, I mean, Annie- she was getting to a certain age, you know. The right, which <laughs> is a shitty thing about Hollywood. No, I was talking about the movie. That's what. Oh the, yeah, that is what Seth Rogen like, says. But fuck Hollywood. Asshole, at the but same like, time. it's such a great way. Like, I love Seth Rogen in this movie, and I love his chemistry with dude. What plays Cato? I think they're both Jay like Chow. really nailing it. It's just a damn shame. Yeah. that the script was not there to support them in the way that it should have been because I think uh, they're fucking phenomenal, both of them. So 2014, the year she retires, she does The Other Woman, Sex Tape, and Annie. Um, in 2014, which is not a great note to go out on 2011 
I mean, she's just done the last Shrek movie the year before. She also does the Tom Cruise film. Obligation, yeah. Right. The Tom Cruise film, 90 90 Day. Day. Yeah. (laughs) And then she does a shit ton of Shrek shorts, the Scared Shrekless, Donkey's Christmas Shrektacular, and Shrek's Yule Log. Sign up for him. You got to do him. That's it. And then in okay. 2011, she does this and Bad Teacher. 2012, it's yeah. what to expect when you're expecting. It, there was a whole run of movies. I think I've I've said this recently on this podcast, too. There's a whole run of movies where it's bad and then occupation or like role. It's bad Santa, bad teacher, bad moms, bad moms. You've got Christmas. bad grandmas. Yeah. Bad, yeah. Got- Bad Every, everything. Bad everything. It's, it's just like a whole genre. Now. It's an entire subgenre of films. Just like bad fill in the blank. Don't let um, that keep you from watching Bad Santa, Stephen, because Bad Santa is a goddamn masterpiece. You've said that before. Don't. There's no sequel to it. I don't care what anybody says. There was never a sequel made. So don't go looking for it. And then she's the first one. After that, she kind of starts to peter out. She does what to expect when you're expecting in 2012. Another another direct to video Shrek movie along with a um uh something called the Liar's Autobiography. She does the voice of Sigmund Freud in a is this a Graham Chapman biopic or documentary? Um about uh, Monty Python's Graham Chapman. It looks like it's a documentary of sorts. Uh called A Liar's Autobiography, the Untrue Story of Monty Python's Graham Chapman. Um, animation comedy, an animated, factually incorrect biography of G- Graham Arthur Chapman, one of the founding members of comedy group Monty Python. She apparently is the voice of Fer- Sigmund Freud for that. Uh, she does a movie called Gambit in 2012, and then in 2013, it's What a- uh, in a World and the Counselor, and then she does that run in 2014, and she's done. She's done one thing since then, and it's the Boss Bitch Fight Challenge in 2020. Um, and then she's supposed to be, she's in post-production on a movie called back in action, uh, which is her and Jamie Foxx and Glenn Close and Kyle Chandler and Andrew Scott, apparently. I hate to Um, pull back the curtain, Steven, but I have to admit that I was just peeing because you just talked about that Graham Chapman movie and it's mm -hmm. both, it's both and it's amazing and watch it right now. Okay. I've never, yeah, I don't know anything about it. I didn't, in fact, I was on another screen, so I didn't even know that you'd left. Because I my my screen was filled up with other things. I made a pee. I, I see that now. I get an M M&M and M now. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll leave that to you to find because I don't know where you keep them. But yeah, like this is this is like toward the end of Cameron Diaz's run, and honestly, it kind of feels like it. Like she's she's kind of wasted in this movie. Like a star of her caliber to do something like this just feels very thankless. And it's just kind of like one of those, I don't know, these make money. So I guess it could be in one of these. Um, like she had not done a superhero movie since the mask in 1994. And that's, I would, I would argue that I wouldn't really call that a superhero movie. I would be more apt to call that a comic book movie. I mean, yeah, fair. And honestly, it, this is not really a comic book movie because the green Hornet started as a radio drama. Oh, and P.S. In the world, in a world is very awesome as well. Everyone I agree. See it. Fred uh, Fred Melamed in that movie is fucking incredible. Let's be honest, though. Fred Melamed wins he bad. Like I've never seen Fred Melamed give a bad performance. You still haven't watched Barry, so you haven't seen uh, another one of his good 
performance. Oh, I haven't. You know what his best performance is, though? What's that? Lay it on me, Steven. Uh, I mean, if you if you really think about it, you'll be able to figure it out pretty quickly. But I'll just go ahead and tell you. Uh, Cy Abelman in A Serious <laughs> Man. Fuck yeah. I was going to say, I knew if you thought about it for half a second, you'd get there. He's just like the nicest asshole. In that he's movie. so great in that movie. Like, I love the fact he's like, yes, I've been having an affair with your wife. No, it's not oh. a big deal. Yes, let's all talk about it and be friends. Like, he's in that movie. He's in the costumes they put him in are so fucking incredible. Like, I want to yes. do a Cy Abelman cosplay right now. Um, I'm not Jewish and I feel like that would be appropriation. So I probably shouldn't, but God, I want that so much. No, every Jewish person would approve. They know your heart's in the right place. I don't think they do. Um, and I don't even know if it is. I just really love that character. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hi, it's me, Tucker. I'd like to speak to the Jewish community, please. Oh God. (laughs) That's something I could do. (laughs) And this is the day we all get canceled. Um, hey, you know, I've been invited to several barbecues, but I've never been invited to a bar mitzvah. So maybe not Jewish. Okay, I'm just saying. Like, I don't know if you missed the first part of what I said. Yeah, but there are several groups I'm not a part of that I'm invited to the party. I don't I've know, never man. been. I've never been to a Jewish function. It makes me. It makes me a little sad, honestly. Because the, I think uh, that's just interesting as hell. There are a lot of uh, grocery stores that cater to. I'm, I live in a, a community now that is is has a large Jewish population, and so a lot of the grocery stores I go to have huge kosher sections, and I love digging into the kosher sections because kosher shit is good. Like I like kosher. I like eating kosher. Like it's it it's good. It's good stuff. So yeah. But yeah, Cy Abelman, that guy fucking rules. Um, <laughs> like the hero we don't deserve, but absolutely need. Um, have him. Even which, when he dies, even when he dies, he's mm-hmm. still there to fucking just like go at it. Wow. And speaking of Jewish superheroes, the Green Hornet, hey! Seth Rogen as the Green Hornet, um, who I don't think he was. I mean, I, the the actual character of the Green uh, of of Brit Reed, the original Green Hornet, very waspish. Uh, Rogan making it his own. Honestly, I there are times when I think Rogan is a bit miscast here, and then there are other times when he makes me buy it. Yeah, like, he nails it for sure. Like there there are moments where I'm like Seth Rogan, action star, really, and. By the end, I'm like, okay, I kind of see this. And and honestly, by the end of the movie, I kind of want more. Like, not that I want this movie to be longer, but I kind of want another one of these. I'd watch it. I'd watch the shit out of it. For sure. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, to jump ahead to the sequel we haven't done in fucking ages, but probably should have been doing since <laughs> the beginning, but we're doing it now, whatever. Uh, I would and say yes. Shut up. And yes. also shut up. Especially <laughs> shut up. But I would say yes. Absolutely. This movie deserves to have a give sequel me, give me the sequel because Anytime, i think I'm a there, sequel, you could work the bugs out of it. and based on what i've heard it was basically studio not interference but negligence that really led to yeah. this movie not doing well um and we'll we'll get into all of that um but before we continue tucker do you want to do some background on the movie first or do you want to just get the plot out of the way uh, let's get the plot out of the way because that frees us to do whatever the fuck we want right on get out that canadian quarter of indifference 
while I explain the plot in 60 seconds. That is the part of the show where we, Tucker and myself, and Brett, when he's here, will uh, toss a coin or roll a die to determine which of us will be recounting the plot of 2011's The Green Hornet in 60 seconds or less, giving off the 30 and 10 second warnings as needed. Um, But yeah, so Tucker's going to go ahead and flip that Canadian quarter of indifference to determine which of us it shall be. Indeed, the queen is heads, the moose is tails, call it in the air, Stephen. We're going to go tails. It is heads. Bitch. All right. Put 60 seconds on the clock, man, and I will knock this mofo out. I got to do that. This is a weirdly plot-dense movie. A weirdly plot-dense movie. Is this a minute or an hour? How do I work timers? Oh, there we go. Okay. How do I work time? Speaking of time, I I finally re-upped my membership into the Kit Kat Clock family. Mm. My Kit Kat Clock there. I do, the yeah. Tail wagon and his the eyes little, going back and forth. The little pseudo Felix, yeah. Yeah, dude. I had one of those back in the day, uh, and I left it somewhere, and it disappeared. Got destroyed uh, in the flood. 60 seconds, pretty much. 60 seconds are on the clock. Steven, you, I will start this timer when you start speaking about the plot of this film. Uh, millionaire Playboy, uh, Britt Reed is a heir to a multimedia newspaper conglomerate. His father passes away. Uh, his father, who's given him shit his whole life, so he has to kind of step up. Um, the guy who makes the coffee, he accidentally fired, so he hires him back. That guy's name is Cato. He also works on the cars. Turns out he's a fucking genius, and so Britt decides, hey, let's fight crime together. Uh, and so they do, except they decide to do it by pretending to be bad guys, but actually doing good shit. So um, as his newspaper, he writes about the Green Hornet, um, who is his superhero seconds. alter ego. He wants to call himself the Green Bee, but that's shitty. Um, eventually he comes up against a guy named Chodnovsky, who is a Russian gangster who wants to be feared, but is really kind of laughable played by Christoph Waltz. That's really weird. Turns out the DA is working with him. Uh, they decide to take out the black, Horn- the green Hornet together. Why do I keep calling the black Hornet the green Hornet together? 10 seconds. Um, and eventually they're unsuccessful because they use the car that Cato made to completely destroy all the bad guys. Everyone dies. And, uh, the green Hornet lives to fight another day as a hero. That's it. I don't know how to turn this off. Okay, I turned it I was going to say, you turned on your calculator weirdly. That was bizarre. <laughs> Hi, it's me. Uh, but yeah, that's that's Good basically job. the movie, right? Like, the, And there's a whole thing about like how the DA was blackmailing his father at one point. Like, There's that whole thing comes in, so it kind of redeems his relationship with his dad. Yeah, it turns out that his dad was a dick, but not in the way that they thought. So Right. Just, you know, a dick in in terms of his relationship with his son, not a dick in terms of, you know, his relationship with the truth. And let me tell you, the scene at the end where they put the head back on the statue should have been mid-credits. Agreed. It sucked as an ending. Agreed. It would have been amazing as a mid-credits. Or an end credits. Like one of those two. Yeah, you know what else. Absolutely. I I completely agree with you there. Um, But no, I agree. It absolutely does not work as an ending to this movie. Uh, should have been at least a mid or if not an end credit scene. Absolutely. Because it it starts with him entering going, Kato, forget everything we just did. This is the most important thing we've ever done. Never mind yeah. that this movie, like the first thing they do together is basically the worst thing Bart Simpson's ever done, which is saw the head off of a statue. <laughs> Never mind that. Wow. Wow. Hey. Uh, it all um, comes back to the Simpsons. Simpsons did it, as they say. You know what was nice to see in this movie? 
What's that? Uh, was Eddie Furlong working, man? Nice he got, a, he got arrested working. hours after the premiere. I know. And you know what? I'm not defending anything that he's done because sure. he's done some fucked up shit. He has. He has. He, has. he, viol- he like, was arrested after the premiere for violating a restraining order. Yes, he has done some domestic abuse stuff, and I do not condone that. I think that's terrible. That is, but when you when you read thing. when you read a lot about what happened to him as a child star, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it explains that, but it does make you you draw some lines. Sure, you know, and I just i I feel bad for the people that he has hurt, mm-hmm. but I also feel bad for him just knowing what he went through like as a kid yeah and that fucking sucks because this dude had a fucking future man he did and you know long is the shit as an actor the shit he's a talented actor too like t2 he's incredible in american history History fucking terrifying like him and him and ed norton both deserved oscar nominations for that movie norton got one i don't think furlong did but like he deserved one like he should have gotten one he's so good in that movie that movie one of those movies i can only watch one time i saw it once i don't need to see it again i'm good i'm good no what i I need to watch that again my final thought on eddie furlong is i hope that one day he gets the help he needs Mm -hmm. and that he gets the redemption arc that i think he fucking deserves that would because be nice. I want to see I want to see this guy and shit because Eddie Furlong even as a kid dude he's nailing it. I don't like the nailing dialogue it. that he gets in T2 but he's at least doing what he can with some really shitty teen dialogue written by a 40-year-old man. Yeah. One of the few things James Cameron cannot do is write mm-hmm. dialogue for children. <laughs> and I mean he's still he's still in shit like he's in a couple movies coming out this year that have come yeah. out this year um, well, there's one that i saw was very highly rated so maybe he's on the comeback i'm way into that yeah like i i i hope he is and again i hope he's gotten the help he needs um but honestly a lot of the stuff he's done not not really great like um he's in the uva bowl movie assault on wall street which was the movie that kept popping up when i wanted to on amazon prime when i wanted to watch david uh david cronenberg's cosmopolis I kept getting that instead. I'm like, this is not what I want. And I, I tweeted about it and Uva Bowl's podcast host like caught it because he just apparently searches for the guy's name and like retweeted it and tagged Uva Bowl in it. And Uva Bowl saw it and liked it. And I was like, fuck, that's the last thing. That's, there's a reason we've not covered in any Uva Bowl films on this podcast yet. And it's because I don't want to fucking get on Uva Bowl's shit list. I do because then maybe he'll come on the show. I'm sure he's a, a nice guy. Okay. Nice, lovely people make shitty movies sometimes. I'm just I saying. don't know. Given how reactionary I have heard that he gets um, on the internet, I don't know how oh, true shit. that is. Well, I don't know anything about it. If you know more than me, then I'll trust your judgment and say, yeah, no thanks. I'll just say there's a reason we haven't. Because there are, we could probably do a month of movable films. We don't want to. Hey, but no good I mean, it's all good press, right? Like that would bump up our numbers, though. I'm just saying. Potentially, but I don't want to. Uh, you don't. You don't have to manage our social media accounts. I do. And oh, that yeah, is right. I just do everything else, Steven. Like yeah, all those guests that you're scheduling. <laughs> what me? Mm. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I would <laughs> never schedule a guest. Not behind your back, Steven. Certainly. I know. Um, <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> Um, 
Anyway, look, there's a division of labor that we have agreed on before we set out on this endeavor. And I'm I'm always just teasing. If I, I didn't want to do what I do, I just wouldn't fucking do you it. You wouldn't fucking do it. You you would have said no every time we offered you that that yeah. co-host spot. So, yeah. Eventually I said yes. Eventually you said yes. It took a, it took a, it took a few months, but we got you. <laughs> it was a hard sell, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it took it, it was not just us. It took our friend uh, JP Leck to to chime in there too. He'll be he'll be coming on soon. I'll be good to talk yeah, to him I can't again. Can't wait. I'm so I'll be excited. Good. Speaking of Teaser. a movie we might possibly cover with him, I borrowed that to a coworker uh, the other day, and I can't wait to hear what she says about it. And if they watch it before we record the episode on this unknown film that I'm talking about, that we'll cover um, next week. I will, I will definitely include their take on it secondhand, of course. Of course. Uh, Of course. Right on. I look forward to that. And you'll hear our takes on that movie as well. So Because she's a big fan of Torque. And if you're a big fan of mm, Torque, come on, man. And and for those of you who lost track of how many weeks there have been in this month, uh, we're on week four, and there's still one more week in August. So that means we got a Tucker's Choice next week. This one in November, too, Stephen. I know. There's four that a year. That one's going to be fun. That one's going to be fun. There's four a year. We give you four chances to pick an episode every year. You know, what if instead of having my own Patreon show, what if I just took over for those fifth Sundays? Fifth Thursdays? Same thing. No, it's we not. We record on Sundays, ding dong. I That's know. I, I know. Sunday. I know I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong, Stephen. Let me be wrong. <laughs> Let me do I was, it. I was trying. <laughs> You can't anyway, find we'll me. I don't know later. I've just been I've just been thinking about that lately since we can't seem to get my Patreon show off the ground. And since I do kind of have a soapbox, you know, every time that there's mm-hmm. a fifth Thursday, might as well, you know, just kind of just, just trying to put those two things together. It's possible. You know, maybe we'll see we what happens. We do that. Keep keep tuning in, listener, to find out what happens. Uh, we're going to we're going to have to have a band meeting one of these days. And whatever yeah. that is, we'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, the Green Hornet, that's a movie we watched. Um, yeah, man. Like I, so this, so this movie, it, it be Hollywood starts talking about doing a Green Hornet movie in 1992. Part of the oh, that's fallout. When they were doing like, uh, the shadow and, mm-hmm. uh, fucking phantom and shit. That's when exactly. all the, the radio shows were trying to make movies. The fallout from the, the Batman, the success of Batman led Hollywood to go, you know what? Old timey <laughs> heroes from the forties. That's what the kids not love. Comic books. Nope. It's not comic book heroes, not Mm-mm. modern comic book heroes as Batman was at the time. Right. <laughs> I love studio execs, man. I fucking love well, them. And it was because Batman was popular in the thirties and forties when these guys were kids. So they're it's like, been, what other shit did I love as a kid? Since. It's but, always but, been popular. You can't put it in one decade. That's so these stupid. old guys are just like, what else? What else did I love when I was a kid that we can bring back? And so, Let's and this, this, this shit is sick. That's why we get Dick Tracy the next year. That's why we get the Phantom yeah. and the Shadow. And like, that's why that happens in that in that time <laughs> period is because of that, because of Batman, which again is the most mind boggling fucking thing. But whatever, it happened. Yo, uh, and, and we're going to we cover the shadow happen. at some point, and I'm and the very Phantom. excited to see that because I've always wanted to, ever since the shadow came out, I've always wanted to see it, but I've just never, never seen it. You know who's in the shadow? Alec Baldwin. You know who else is in the shadow? Not Alec Baldwin. 
Sir Ian McKellen in one of his very first American film roles. Yes, dude. Yeah, is fucking wild. Uh, that movie, that movie is problematic on levels, and it is really fucking weird on others. I can't wait to see it. Bro. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I, I also, I also had the novelization, like the junior novelization of The Shadow, uh, back when they used to make those. So this movie's in like begins development in 1992 and Eddie Murphy is lobbying hard to play the Green Hornet. I'd watch that. I'd watch Eddie, the fuck out of that. Eddie Murphy really wants to play the Green Hornet. They finally start circling um a filmmaker who they actually are circling Michel Gondry around this time. It's supposed to come out in 1997. And is supposed to start George Clooney as the shadow. This would have, or as the green Hornet, this would have I been watched that too. This would have been a couple years before Batman and Robin. And it would, it actually would have been the movie he would have done instead of Batman and Robin. Um, but eventually they drag their feet on it so long that he leaves to do Batman and Robin. Um, for good or for but, so, which of course is the last time he ever does a, a superhero movie. Well, is it? Steven, is it not counting a movie we might cover at the end of this year? Um, but he, um, hint, wink, nudge. Um, <laughs> Tucker's pulling on his eyelid. Um, they know more. Um, so this would have been actually Gondry's directorial debut had he done it at that time. Um, it eventually changes hands. I think at that point, I actually wrote all this shit down. Let me pull up these notes on my phone. Um, cause I do have all of these notes typed in. Well, you on made notes. Phone. I did. I actually made notes for this podcast. That's how much That's I love cute. you guys. Is it adorable? Um, so Clooney leaves and Greg Kinnear steps on board. I'd watch that too. Uh, and around this time, I think it's supposed to be him and Jason Scott Lee as Cato. With Michelle Gondry directing. Also would have watched that. Which would be a freaking cool movie. Um, every iteration of this so far, it just sounds amazing. Like, I'd watch every version of this movie. So that's being developed at Universal. That falls apart. They decide to stop uh, development on that, move on to something else. The rights drop out. They end up getting bought up by Miramax, by those delightful little scamps. The, I'm sorry, those uh, I misread that. It's raging assholes at Miramax. Um, and they buy it up. And Harvey Weinstein announces, human pile of excrement Harvey Weinstein announces that he's going to give that to his golden boy, Kevin Smith, to write and direct. And Smith was One like... One of his trio of golden boys. That right. Is. Yes. Him, Tarantino, and Rodriguez. The, the, the trifecta of Miramax in the late 90s. Um, what but, a time to be alive. Right. Oof. Um, but no, I they, mean, because I like all three of those filmmakers. Oh, no, sure. <laughs> I mean, but fuck the, the Weinsteins, but I the, like all... It's to be the there. Fact. I was there, man. When, when all those guys were at the top of their game, man. And, and seriously, what a fucking time to be alive. Crazy time. Uh, so Kevin Smith, uh, he's sworn off making a superhero movie for multiple reasons, not least of which is his um, infamous uh, Superman Lives experience uh, working with the studio, John Peters, the expectations of fans. But he's like, I like the fact that this guy is Batman before Batman. I like the fact that the expectations on this thing are not nearly as high as they would be for an established or more established, well-known hero. I kind of like it. And the script that he 
um, develops would have a younger uh, Green Hornet to be played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and that one would have been the son of the original Green Hornet and the original Green Hornet and Cato would basically be retired. And so Britt Reed Jr. and the daughter of Cato basically become the new Green Hornet and Cato. The original Cato in that one was supposed to be played by Jet Li. I like that idea. That's kind of cool. Uh, I don't know who the older, um, um, uh, who who the older Green Hornet would have been? The older Brit Stanley, Brit Senior. God no, Michael um, Rooker. There you go. Honestly, <laughs> I could see them putting like fucking, that. I could see him putting Carlin in there. Yeah, Rooker yeah, yeah. Rooker is actually a good call though. Rooker would fucking kill that. Well, um, at the time he didn't have a relationship with Carlin. That's why I said Rooker. Yeah, yeah. He he yeah. develops it. He develops that relationship post chasing Amy, which is when he it was dogma. Yeah, yeah. He starts to establish a lot of his like bigger name connections at that point. I mean, him and Affleck kind of and Damon all kind of come up together. But once he connects with them in their later after they win their Oscar, and Dogma comes out, they're pretty much he's able to get all sorts of people through them. Um, Gyllenhaal eventually drops out. And then Wahlberg steps in as Green Hornet. Don't know if I would have watched that one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it would be good. Who knows? Um, but I'm not as sure about it as the other ones that I would want to see. At some point, Ron Underwood is attached to direct. It's the guy behind like Mighty Joe Young. And yep. he was very big in the early 90s. Um, after him... They hand the project uh, at some point. Uh, the Korean actor uh, Song Woo Kwan, I'm butchering that pronunciation, and I apologize, is in talks to play Kato. Um, after that falls apart, after Underwood drops out, it goes to uh, Taiwanese director Stephen Chow, who is going to direct opposite. Um, Seth Rogen, uh, and that's kind He's of like going to be in it, though, right? Right, he was going to be Cato. Yeah, so he was yeah. going to be Cato, and then Rogen was going to be, uh, Rogen was basically going to star and write. Chow was going to star and direct, and it would have been his first American film. And ultimately, they drop out because of creative differences. Based on what I heard. He wanted there to be, he wanted Kato to implant the Green Hornet with a microchip, which oh, then Kato would control with a control with a joystick. No, dude. Just it's a it's a very that, Stephen Chow thing. It just doesn't work for this material. Yeah, it, that's it like a very Stephen Chow idea. The, half of the whole like draw of it. Mm -hmm. That takes it away because I think, especially with this film, mm -hmm. I think what what is really interesting about it is that it's all Cato. Cato does all of it. In and and Brit just kind of yeah. he's just there. He's he's kind of a. I mean, you can bounce ideas off of him, and yeah, he thought about the ejector seat, but Cato, it's all Cato. Let's be honest. All, like, 98% of everything that happens that goes positively for them is Kato. If Brit was not white and did not have money, Kato, he would be the sidekick and Kato would be the lead. 
Well, and that that's the thing. That's that's what Brit uh brings to it. He's like Batman with no talent. Exactly. So he needs he needs talent. He needs to get somebody in there to like he help needs him. The do the things absolutely. He if anybody's the joystick, it's gonna be Brit. Like come that's why that's such a stupid fucking idea. Yeah. So dumb. Yeah, I agree. I hate that. I would not watch that. Absolutely yeah. not. So so that's why they got rid of, of Stephen Chow. Um, at one point they were talking to James Wan before getting Michelle Gondry back to direct. I think Michelle Gondry right. really wanted Vince Vaughn. That would I be think interesting. like Vince Vaughn was in the conversation at one point. That um, could go either way. I'd be interesting to see where it would go for sure. Right. Um, but before finally landing on, on uh, Michelle Gondry, Seth Rogen as the green Hornet and they get, Taiwanese singer. Yeah, he's um, straight up pop star. He is. He's star. the king of Still. Mando pop. Is what I read on his Wikipedia page. Like uh, Mandarin pop. Like he is the the master. Like he is to to Mando pop what like BTS is to like K pop, or what Taylor Swift is to M pop. Like that's just like did you see that? I did. Yeah. Did you like that? I did, I did actually. That's why I mentioned it. Yeah. That was kind of rad. You <laughs> kept it going with the, and then you just kind of threw your own in there. It was easy to understand, even though it was brand new. We'd never heard it before. Well done, Steven. Put that in lexicon, everybody. Everybody just call it Ampop now. I'm way into it. American That's what I'm going to do from now on. People are like, they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, American pop. Because there's, you know, different kinds of pop from different countries. K-pop, it, J-pop, Mando pop. Like, it's a whole thing. There's Look, this world is bigger than just this country, people. <laughs> You don't say. There's life outside of our borders. I can't believe this. Tell me more, Steven. I don't have that kind of time, Tucker. Um, at one point, they were talking to Abby Cornish to play Lenore. Uh, and then, they, of course, Who the big... Who plays Lenore, honestly? It's, it's a, nothing a nothing part. part it's a nothing movie. part. It is. Which sucks that the female lead is given... Uh, a grand total of no things to do over the course of the movie. And I love how like they try to make up for that at the end to be like, you're the fucking mastermind. It's like, shut the fuck up. No, yeah. That's lip service is you. what that is. She helped you with some research. Yeah. Kato okay. is the mastermind. That's the point. She's fucking Barbara Gordon in a wheelchair at best. Mm -hmm. At best. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so, but, and then of course the big name that was attached to this movie hired for this movie dropped out of this movie, um, was of course the original Chudnovsky. Do you know about this? I know not of this. Please give me this. They knowledge. originally wanted Nicolas Cage to play Chudnovsky. Okay. Um, he, okay. I could see that, especially yeah. like in that opening scene Uh huh. and all the like scenes where he's, he's, he. He knows he's the shit, but he also has like that insecurity about him. Mm -hmm. Oh, Nick Cage would have fucking mopped the floor with that shit. His initial plan was to perform the entire role with a Jamaican accent. <laughs> such that he was really pissed at Seth Rogen when he saw James Franco in uh, Spring Breakers <laughs> because he becomes convinced that Franco stole his idea. Mm -hmm for that movie uh, <laughs> that's a wild movie spring breakers never seen it uh, i have i am something. in fact i i yeah. have there is a giant ass blind spot in my filmography in my film viewing around the person of harmony kareen 
um, for many reasons. I have never seen a Harmony Kareem Breakers film. is just, it's something, man. That's, it's something. that's what I've heard, and it's the main reason why I've not watched it yet, honestly. If it's, I don't. I couldn't tell you if it's good or if it's bad, but damn it, Steven, it is something. You've never seen anything like it. It's what I've heard. Um, so eventually, Nick Cage drops out of the movie because he didn't like the character as written because he he didn't want to play a character who just went around and just killed people to kill them. He wanted to discover the humanity in there to really dig into why he was doing these things and to give it some kind of motive because he's a fucking real actor and he wanted something that he could play that made sense to him. And he said, unfortunately, there just wasn't time to develop that. So I had to leave the project. Um, But there there exists somewhere in this world. Uh, a version of this movie where Nicolas Cage is playing Chudnovsky with a fucking Jamaican accent, and it probably makes seven billion dollars. One dollar for every person on this godforsaken rock. I'm into it. I'm yeah. way into it. Uh, instead, they they uh, casted a thing of the moment, Christoph Waltz, uh, Academy uh, Award that's to, winner, Christoph. That's not Waltz. to take anything away from Christoph Waltz, but no. literally the only reason he was cast in this movie is because inglorious bastards hit correct yeah and everybody knew who the fuck he was then yeah like right after that hit he was in every movie and this was one of them yeah he was a huge he was a huge fucking deal off of inglorious bastards this is actually his immediate follow-up to inglorious bastards wow you know how they talk about like the the Oscar slump, like you win an Oscar and then the very next project you take is like shit. Like we talked about that when we talked about Catwoman because Catwoman was Holly Berry's Oscar follow up. Like this is his follow up. And you're just like, what? what I don't know you... if I call this shit, though, but I understand what you're saying. But no, I mean, but his performance here versus his no. performance in Inglorious Bastards, like his performance oh, yeah. in Inglorious Bastards. He is Inglorious Bastards. Like, yeah, Brad Pitt is in it. Yeah, um, Michael, what's his Michael um, Fassbender is in it. Um, Eli but Roth is in it. Eli He's the mayor uh, Jew. Yeah, sure, he is. Um, Eli Roth <laughs> is there. Uh, I don't know if he's in anything. You'd be nice, Stephen. You be nice. You know who that role was written for, Tucker? Uh, Adam Sandler. Yeah. You know oh, who I just guessed. Holy no. shit. <laughs> you know who would have fucking killed that role? Yeah, dude. I Adam Sandler. I With that, you've ruined that movie for me because of that bit of perspective, Stephen. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And that's I why I had no problem with Eli Roth until and you now just you do that revelation. I, abso- I absolutely had a problem with it because he's trying to do a fucking Brooklyn accent. And I'm just like, wait, he's a bear. This is the guy you call the bear <laughs> Jew. Really? That's this, what's funny about it. This I don't know. I spindly little as, asshole. Yeah. Um, but, but, but no, like, and, and yeah, Diane Kruger is in that movie and, um, oh, what's, uh, Daniel Bruhl is in that movie, but like Mike Myers in that movie, in that movie. True. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of SNL alumni in that movie, in that movie. Um, but that is Christoph Waltz's movie. Like he just, he is from the, from the first scene, he walks in and goes, I'll be taking it from here, fellas. And like, I, I love that Tarantino almost didn't make the movie because he thought he'd written an unplayable villain in, in Hans Landa. And then Christoph Waltz walks in and he goes, oh, okay, it's this guy. Got it. All right. Fuck cool. Nails it, dude. He does. He knocks it fucking out of the park. He's so fucking good. Um, and then he wins his second Oscar for Django Unchained, which is, again, fucking wild. 
He's um, really good at that. It's not one is. of my it's one of my lesser favorite Quentin Tarantino films, but he fucking knocks it out of the park in that movie. He does he's in he's in so many movies we can cover on this podcast. He's in The Three Musketeers, the Paul W. Sanderson Three Musketeers. He's in the DreamWorks film Epic. Um like he just the legend of Tarzan, he's one of the villains in that. He's already been in Elite of Battle Angel, which we've covered. Like he just fucking shows up in shit and just yeah he's in the french dispatch too i know i've said this before but the first french dispatch while being one of the most wes anderson films ever made Mm -hmm. it's also one of the least wes anderson films ever made tonally interesting like visually it's incredibly wes anderson but tonally it's kind of it's dark man the french dispatch is wes anderson's dark movie and i fucking loved it that's what kind of reignited my love for wes anderson because Hmm. after the royal tannenbaums i was like yeah steve zisu's fine but it just kind of seemed like he was getting a pattern that i just didn't really it just kind of seemed all kind of samey um moonrise kingdom and whatever you know stop animations stop motion animation stuff was really good but he just kind of seemed like he got into sort of a holding pattern and then motherfucking french dispatch comes out Grand Budapest was the one that I heard that everyone was like, oh, my God, this thing's so good. And I I just never saw it. I am quoted as when I saw this film as saying Wes Anderson's head has disappeared so far up his own ass (laughs) that he somehow made a perfect film. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. It's true. And like, that's why, like, I was there like opening weekend to see uh, the the Asteroid City. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was fucking phenomenal. And there's so many layers of that film. I think that he's finally able to match the intensity of what he's trying to do visually Mm -hmm. with a script that makes it all fucking worth it. That's where Wes Anderson is right now. And I'm fucking pumped, dude. Okay. Because I've been with him since Bottle Rocket. I liked his shit back before he even knew who the fuck he was. Right. You're, you're a Wes Anderson hipster. Yeah. Fucking amazing. Right. Yeah. But like everything from Royal Tannenbaums to French Dispatch. Whatever. I, Royal Tannenbaums is the film of his that I've seen that I like. That was the one where I was like, uh, you may have lost me. That's <laughs> the one that I own. And I just, I loved, that is Gene Hackman's last great movie. Is oh, the Royal Gene Hackman? He that is, is the great in that movie. That is the last great Gene Hackman performance in my mind. Um, R.I.P. Gene Hackman. He's still alive. He's just yeah, retired. But is he doing anything? He's retired, man. He's in his nineties. Let the man. Let the man relax. You know what? I get him and Dennis Hopper mixed up a lot, and that's why I said R.I.P. Oh yeah, Dennis Hopper definitely. You know what movie you should watch that that has uh, that has Gene Hackman Both in of it? Them? Oh okay. Let's say, is there a movie with both of them in it? Because I'll watch that. Um, I mean, there might be, but no, I was thinking of the French Connection, the movie we were talking about behind yeah, the paywall. Yeah. Well, uh, your your Billy Freed's movie. Yeah, Billy Billy Freed's. Um, but yeah, like it's after Royal Tenenbaums, it's behind Enemy Lines. I saw it, not that good. Runaway Jury, which I used to own, but I don't think I ever saw. And then his final film, Welcome to Mooseport, um, with Ray Romano. With Ray Romano. Yeah. yeah, that movie's all right. It's a it's a Sunday afternoon kind of movie. It's it's not much of a movie. It's just kind but of there. After but that, he, 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 he kind of looked around at the roles out there and went, you know what? 
not anything really here anymore. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and peace out. And so he did. I can take it. But yeah, dude's dude's That's like well do. into his nineties, I think. Like let let the man let the man enjoy his retirement. Cause um Speaking of Gene Hackman, uh so I'm not gonna tell you tell our audience what the movie was that we were supposed to cover this week. Because we are uh, gonna be covering I, it within the next month. I am gonna say it was directed by Tony Scott. And my favorite Tony Scott movie. Mm-hmm. It's Enemy of the State. And Gene Hackman Gene in motherfucking that Hackman. fucking movie. Oh mm-hmm. my god, dude. Him yeah. and Will Smith, I love the way they play off each other because it's just like I would expect them to be like in real life as Will Smith and Gene Hackman. Like Will mm-hmm. Smith just Will Smithing it up and Gene Hackman being like, shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. <laughs> I love well, that movie and I love them in that movie. Like every scene with them in it is just a fucking delight. I think it was for the movie Runaway Jury, but when my theater, I remember my theater professor in college talking about an interview he was watching with Hackman and, and, uh, and, uh, Hoffman, Dennis, uh, Dustin Hoffman talking about their process. And Hoffman of course is extremely method. So he's just sitting there like talking through like the through line of the scene and all this shit. And he said, Hackman's just kind of sitting next to him, just kind of just like bored (laughs) out of his mind. Just like Chris Pine in that Harry Styles interview where this movie feels like a movie, like very much in that kind of vein. Um, and I just, I was like, I want to see this interview cause that's just strikes me as hilarious. Cause that's not Hackman's process at all. And it's, oh. it's absolutely Hoffman's and has been Hoffman's from day one, because that's how he learned. Like so many yeah. of these guys come out of the Meisner or the, the, uh, live Ullman or any of these other, like these schools or, um, Adler, Irene Adler, not Irene Adler. That's the fucking character from Sherlock Holmes. Stella, Stella Adler. There you um, go. <laughs> out of out of these ugh, out of these schools. Um, so like, you know, because that's how Brando did it, and all these guys are like, ooh, I like that guy. I'm gonna do what he did. And so they they study the method. Um, so yeah, that's and and but uh, yeah, Hackman's just bored out of his fucking mind, and I love it. You know, if they'd have made a Green Hornet movie in the sixties, Hackman would have been a fucking great Green Hornet. I'd watch the shit. I'd watch that twice in a row, probably. Hell yeah. That I mean, they did make a Green Hornet TV show in the sixties. Um starring Gene Van Hackman Williams. It. No, it was Van Williams was the Green Hornet in that one. And um it after that he decided, I'm pretty much done with acting. And he you know what? He pretty much was after that because he'd made some really smart business investments and so didn't really need to act anymore. And he was like, I don't really like it anyway, so Fuck you all. They offered him a cameo in this movie as a as a cemetery guard, and he said no. I think I mean, I think that's kind of a a shame. I respect his decision, but also it is nice to it's always nice to see no matter how cheesy or kind of put upon it feels um, to see the original actors come Mm -hmm. in like with with Wonder Woman 84. Yeah, see uh, Linda Carter come in like even it was fucking stupid, but it's just it's just really nice to see them like just mm-hmm. have them there in the modern thing, like with Lou Fregno in every fucking Hulk movie. Yes. Like he's a security guard and mm-hmm. like I'm here for it. Like I just want to see him. I just want to be like, oh, yeah, yay, high five. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. And I just wish that homeboy would have come in and done this movie. I wouldn't have known who the fuck he was, but I would have known that he was there and I would have mm-hmm. been like, yeah, I, I feel I feel a little it, something it, in my cold, it, dead heart it feels like a blessing from the previous generation to the new one. When that happens, mm-hmm. like even when in, even when it's something bigger, like James Garner and Maverick, 
um, where you've got yes. like the guy who played Maverick, like playing perfect a main example. role in that, but it's like a passing yes. of the torch. And I think that's mm-hmm. the most perfect example of that because you literally have the two playing opposite each other. And now of course they're, he's playing it. He's not playing Maverick, but then at the end, it kind of is um, like, maybe he's, he is playing the same role. And I think I posit this on that episode. Like maybe he's just playing yeah. the exact same role. And that's Brett Maverick Jr. is that he's the Maverick from the show. And then the Mel Gibson character is his son, like easily could have worked. And that's why I will watch every Shaft movie, every Shaft reboot or remake with Richard Roundtree in it. Mm-hmm. Hands down. I don't I don't I'll, if I see the trailer and it looks like utter garbage, I don't care. Richard Roundtree is there. Blessing. Let's watch it. Let's I, do it. I own the first two Shaft movies on 4K. Because uh, yes, they're do. both on the, very jealous. They're both on that Criterion 4K. Um, I like that 2000 Shaft though with Christian Bale, John Singleton. I that one was. I thought that one was good. I like that movie. Here's People the thing. Sleep on that movie, dude. I, I have, have not. I have not yeah. seen it. But at this point, I know I'm gonna have to cover it for this show. So I'm kind of yeah. waiting so I can watch it fresh for when I have to watch it for the oh, show. I'm I'm actually very excited because we get to cover both. Yes. Shaft reboots. Yes, and I have not seen too. the new one, and I want to see it so bad because the not Tim only story one, it's yeah. a fucking double blessing, dude. It double is double movie blessing. And double I'm blessing so here for it. Absolutely, it. you get you get both Samuel L. Jackson and Richard Roundtree mm. in this passing it off to Jesse T. Usher. Unfortunately, <laughs> it doesn't look like they're going to do any more of those. So yeah, we get That's to cover fine. both of them as long as as long as the next reboot they do, it has three blessings. I. As long as Richard Blech. Roundtree stays with us, and honestly, <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad he's still with us, unless I yes. haven't heard something unfortunate that's happened recently, or unless something happens really unfortunately between when we're recording this and when this episode no. drops. Please All don't. All sources report that he's still alive. Hopefully, of, at least until next Thursday. <laughs> as of 11.46 Eastern Time on uh, oh, Sunday, geez, August the 20th. Yeah, it is, man. We, we're, we're getting – it's getting late for Tuckers. Why um, you got to remind me of the time, man? You're not supposed to tell me. I'm sorry. Uh, but no, Richard Roundtree still around, still kicking, still working. Oh. Um, he's got a movie coming out this year, uh, and he's got three more like in the can. Like, God, I love that, man. Um, Dick Roundtree has that work ethic, dude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's like and a billion years. He was born in the motherfucking forties. He was. He's he's been around for a long. Motherfucker's been around for a long time. He was born in. I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna just look it up. What the fuck? I wanna, I'm gonna guess forty two. Uh, let's let's see. He was born in fucking on the head. Nineteen forty two. Yes, July dude. 9th, 1942. So he's, he's 81, 81 this year. Yeah. yeah. He's so hanging in there. He is. And he's still working too. Like man works. Um, Like, like we said, movies coming out, like movies that are already out and are still coming out. Like man is still working and God bless him for doing it. I mean, he's got the work ethic of Samuel L. Jackson. Like the, uh, the man who just keeps working. Um, not much that well, man he's won't old do. As fuck too, man. He's in his seventies, isn't he? He is. He is. Yeah, Samuel Jackson in his seventies, still working like like crazy, and is apparently one of like the most professional, um, one of like the most professional actors. Like when he shows up, he is completely prepared and off script, like completely. 
1948, Samuel 74. Jackson. 74. Yeah, 74. He'll be 75 oh, later please. this year. Uh, and, and this he, man, in every movie... Born the week movie, of Christmas. Any, any character that he plays in any movie now, unless it's specifically stated, I have to say it's implied to be early to mid-50s. Mm-hmm. That's where I'd place any character he's playing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he is one of those blessed actors who can absolutely play so much younger than he is. Um, but yeah, what a what a fucking legend! God, what a guy! What a guy! Samuel Jackson, hell yeah! Um, but yeah, That's stay tuned. Temptation. Stay tuned for both Shaft remakes, both the John Singleton wait. and Tim Story ones. Is it soon, Stephen? Is it soon? Tell me it's soon. They're not on the schedule the yet. Month? They're not on the schedule yet. We can talk about it after we're done recording. We have the power to make the schedule, Stephen. I'm aware. I just need Let's to find a good this. time to slot it in. We can talk Title about it after tape. we're done recording. Let's do it. Not make a sex tape, to be clear. What? Why not? D- mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about how this movie is actually pretty good. Yeah. Okay. So can we? I remember this movie just being unwatchable when I first like when I first really? saw it in 20. I didn't like okay. it. I didn't okay, like no, it. Like it wasn't like, but then again, like I am, it's, it's, I was a Marvel movie fan in 2011. Like it was a good time to be a Marvel movie fan. It wasn't. Exactly. Like it was a good time to be a Marvel movie fan. Like we had a Thor movie that was pretty decent. We had a Just Hulk movie. Just a comic movie. book fan in general. Really? It was a good time. It was, there was, I mean, the comic book movies were, they faltered a little bit in the early part of the 2000s, but they were rallying and coming back strong in 2011. And that, and it was, I don't know, starting in 28, 2008, they kind of start roaring, roaring back again. And it's, it's, it's an exciting time to be a comic book fan. It really is. Um, so like compared to everything else, and we kind of have went over a lot of the, the things that were coming out around this time, we've gone over those. Um, so, but, but like, with among this embarrassment of riches, this kind of feels like an odd duck because it's not explicitly a comic book property. It's based on a pulp hero from a radio drama. It's barely and a superhero. Barely a super like more of just a vigilante. His sidekick happens to be a fucking genius. Like, right. He is. He's the prototype for Batman. This is our prototype for Batman. It's like Batman is half Green Hornet, half Zorro. Well, that it Batman is just you combine the Kato and the Green Hornet. Like you don't need the other guy. Just make them all the same guy. Right. The guy with the money is the greatest world's greatest detective. He yeah. did study martial arts. Like you know, he he does build all his own tech. Yeah. Um. But I mean, the like the the stated inspirations for Batman are always Zorro and the Scarlet Pimpernel. Like those are the two that that get like stated all the time. And it's definitely there. It's baked into yeah. the cake of the thing for sure. Um, but yeah, so what we, so like, that's kind of where we, we start with this thing, but this, this, it doesn't, it feels more like a relic, like a a recycled relic from a bygone era, like pumped full of like as much modern twist as we can add, as we can like pump into the thing. Um, and I don't know, like in, in some ways it feels like very much like an early 2000 superhero movie. In some ways it feels like an early 90s superhero movie. And in a lot of other ways, it feels like it's something that is in, in some ways a little bit ahead of its time. 
while still feeling very regressive also. Like it's, it's a weird line. This thing rides. I agree. I agree. It's, um, I just feel like there's so many, I don't even know how to explain it, but there's so many different ways that this movie is pulling. Yes. And to, to come back them, to the lack of focus. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and to stay with what we're talking about, I think all of them are good, mm-hmm. but they don't always mesh well together. I don't think there's anything in this movie that is bad. There isn't anything in this movie that doesn't land for me. Mm-hmm. It's just the way that the ideas conflict with themselves. It's you know not what I mean? in the tone. cohesive. The oh, movie needs yeah. to find a lane and stick to the lane. I don't even know which lane that would be. Cause like I said, it all fucking works. It just doesn't all work together. That's the problem. You know? And that, that ultimately is, a I mean, and you get a guy like Gondry who from my understanding of him is such an eclectic filmmaker that part of that jumble of tone and um, and lack of focus might just be on some level kind of his brain and how it works within a large budget studio film. Oh, yeah, because this is this is a guy who honestly with Michel Gondry, the lower the budget, the better. Because Which I mean, that's part of the reason Kevin Smith was was loath to take it at one point, like well, because the budget why, could have been huge. I think that's why the very obviously practical effects that are in this movie, alongside like the CGI and stuff, mm-hmm. the stuff that's obviously practical is the stuff that works so well because that's that man's bread and butter. Like that car going up the elevator and cutting in half and shit. That whole ending sequence. Holy fuck. Yeah. With the exception of the blood splatter is pretty much. That's that's what Michel Gondry can do on a budget. He doesn't need a budget to do all that other shit. Right. It just gets in the fucking way, honestly. And the studio executives were apparently pretty inattentive to the making of this movie, particularly the more expensive parts of making this movie. Um, so the budget kind of just got away from them and just started to balloon out of control because no one was keeping track of anything. And um, nobody knew what movie they were making. And no one knew what fucking movie they were making. And it, I mean, it, it it feels on one level like a too many cook situation. But by the same token, this thing feels pretty, at least in terms of like the voice, it feels pretty unified in terms of voice, just not in terms of like tone or style. Like I can tell there are remnants from a lot of different drafts in this thing, but it still feels in service of a whole, you know, like weirdly, like I know what I'm saying probably isn't making any sense. It makes sense in my head. I'm just having a a difficult time articulating. it it. It makes perfect sense because another film that encapsulates that perfectly, um, though not, I don't think in a negative way, is Hot Rod, which uh, I gather you still have not seen. You're um, correct. I would have that mentioned was a movie, it. That was a movie that was written in the 90s. And then it was given to Lonely Island. And so what they did was they took the story and they just rewrote it as a Lonely Island. And that's right. what this movie feels like. This movie feels like a different script. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, Goldberg and Rogan came in and just made it their version of that right it doesn't, it doesn't feel like something that, that came and... from them it feels right. like they were the editors on it and yeah. for hot rod that works and for a lot of 
parts in this movie it works too but you can really really see there are some parts where it really really shines where you're like that doesn't like what is this how is this the same movie like the i think when it works it works very well when it doesn't work it's pretty glaring like there's a montage like during there's a there's a a scene around the news table where the, after they Green Hornet and Kato have had their first outing and they're talking about all the things they've done and they talk about how they've blown up streetlights at an intersection. And we're like, when was that? I haven't seen that. Cut to a big montage where they're like rounding up a bunch of bad guys and they run through a red light. The camera flashes and they go, oh shit, camera got us. And so Kato blows up the camera. And I'm like, well, that's clearly the thing they were talking about before, but is this the second time they've done that? And if that's the case, why is this the first time we're seeing it? Like it just, it doesn't, it feels like the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing at one point in this yeah. movie. Yep. I and agree it, with you. It feels like there was a, there's at least one, if not two subplots completely missing from this movie. Yep. I'll bet there was, I've always wanted to, uh, I don't, I've never, gone after like a physical release of this but i wonder if there are deleted scenes that would fill that in and now i almost kind of want to buy it just to find out or see if there's like deleted scenes on youtube or something that because i be felt that way this out. time too uh i i felt that way this time for sure like that something, something for that struck me before but a reason for cameron diaz to be in this movie a reason for academy award nominee tom wilkinson to be in this movie like a uh, little baby David Harbor too, little baby David Harbor. Yeah. He's teeny so... tiny David Harbor before <laughs> face be- David Harbor. Before he was Hellboy, he was a, a skeezy. Apparently that, stranger things. That character was a, a, an ally to the green Hornet in the comics. Yeah. And so yes, that's, he their, was. that's their big subvert. Like he's one of the few people that actually knows Britt Reed's identity and like helps him on cases and shit. And uh, in this, they completely subvert that expectation. If if the audiences knew who the fuck Scanlan was, they would have subverted that expectation in the same way that like the first Mission Impossible movie subverts your expectation of John Voight's character and mm-hmm. Jim Phelps and what he's there for. Like, I don't know. Pretty interesting. I also thought Edward James almost was kind of wasted. There had Agreed. to be some reason for him to be there, right? Yeah. Other than to just look disapprovingly at Seth Rogen like, every 20 I minutes. Get- I get his function in the story, but you don't hire him to be in a fucking movie for 15 minutes. Agreed. Just yeah, popping get- in every once in a while. Like there's gotta be something on the cutting room floor. Another where, like, Academy Award nominee. Up. Yeah. In this movie, somehow inexplicably, like there had to have, like, he's not going to sign up for something this thankless. There's no. gotta be something else here that he were just not seeing. Well, and that's why I think, um, I'd love to see it nowadays as a television series mm-hmm. because all the stuff that his relationship with his father, um, I think that that stuff would be very interesting to explore within mm-hmm. the context of, of this specific green Hornet story. I'd totally watch a sequel series to this, like for sure. Yeah. I I would absolutely watch a, watch a sequel to this or, or any kind of revisiting of this. Ultimately, based on, again, factors that we'll discuss a little later, um, that didn't happen. So, but I, I don't think I would have watched at the time, but after revisiting it now, this, this feels like a movie that's in about another five or six years away from someone going, you know, it's actually pretty good green Hornet and everyone going like rediscovering and kind of going, you know, I think you might be right there. 
I'm way hipster on that. I've been saying it since it came out. You I'm like, you know what? I don't know what you guys are talking about. This is actually pretty rad. Is it yeah. perfect? No. Is it great? No. But it's a damn good time. Yeah, and that's kind of what I noticed time. this time. Like, I'm like, I'm I'm having fun, and I don't know if it's just that this feel, if, if every all superhero movies are so the same that anything even slightly different just feels exciting. <laughs> right? Yeah, but I was just like, I'm having fun. Like, this is a good time. Like. I, I think Christoph Waltz's villain is really underbaked. Uh, I think honestly, a lot of the character work in this is really underbaked. Um, he still like, kills it though. He knows exactly what movie he's in and no, he's he does. killing it. But I don't th- like, I, I agree with Nick Cage. Like there's not enough of a motivation. There's he's not a character. Agreed. He's, yeah. he's a caricature. And the joke is the joke of him is I think very funny. Um, that he wants to be a supervillain and can't fucking figure it out. And so the whole movie is his arc in the movie is trying to figure out how to be a supervillain. And then of course, by the time he gets it right, he dies. Literally the moment he gets it right is the moment he's killed, um, yep. which is sucks for him really. But in a surprisingly yeah. uh, graphic way for a PG 13 film. Yeah. I mean, the actual violence itself is, is done off screen. Uh, but you see the impact and then the aftermath, like you see Cato make the impact and then you see what becomes of him after, but you don't actually see the collision. I think if you'd seen the stakes penetrating his eyes, that would have been a like Sam Raimi style, like following yeah. the stakes into his eyes. Mm-hmm. Correct. I'd watch the shit out of a Sam Raimi version of this movie too. Just Raimi, I would too, actually. That sounds <laughs> fucking incredible. Same cast. It's got like, honestly, it feels it, it certain aspects of it kind of feel a little Raimi esque, like because that's that's not the guy you would have pegged for a Spider-Man movie necessarily, but he pulls it off. And in the same by the same token, I'm like, not the until Sunshine they announced guy is doing it. this, not until right. they announced it when it was Spider-Man. I never in a million years would have been like, yeah, I could see Sam Raimi directing a Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they announced it, I was like. Oh shit! I can see Sam Raimi directing a Spider-Man movie. Now that you mention it, that was now what, that you mention it, that was me in like 2005 when they announced Robert Downey Jr. is gonna play um, Tony Stark, yeah. and all of my friends are going, I don't know, he's such a liability. Like he, what's he done? Who's like, can what's we he get done insurance lately? for this guy? Like, who knows? Like, and I was like, guys, you know, but like he is first of all his, kiss kiss bang bang but yeah which we had none of us had seen at that point oh but, you poor poor boys i know but but i was the guy that's like look if you know anything about the character of tony stark and the character of iron man this well, works this is extraordinarily good casting yeah. like had i considered it, it before no but now that you mentioned it no it literally it's and that's that's what i said exactly as soon as you say robert downey jr is gonna play iron man you're like oh yeah of course why didn't why wasn't he the first call we made but again, he's not he's not the star like that's why they're, you know, looking at everyone from Leonardo DiCaprio to Tom Cruise before yeah. settling. And the reason they had to settle for Robert Downey Jr. is because the studio couldn't afford anyone bigger. You know who the highest paid actor on the first Iron Man movie was? Was it Jeff Bridges? No. It was Terrence motherfucking Howard because he was the first person. To, he was the Where first person to money. sign on. And so they paid him way more. They signed him for way more than even Robert Downey Jr. made on that movie. So when, when that House movie Joe made less than him, mm-hmm. 
Oh, like, Gwyneth I Paltrow mean, is it, like, that's a favor yo, for a friend performance. And yo, movie. Terrence Howard deserves more than her in that movie, I think. Uh, but I'm just saying, she's a skinny little white lady. How's she not getting way more money than that dude? He's the highest paid actor. Think, uh, once again, I don't think that she should. I'm just saying, with the way that it works. I know. How is he making more money? Though? That's good for him. No, Fuck he's yeah, the Terrence first Howard. one that signs on. Literally, that's why. He's the yeah, first dude. one that signs on, and they have to adjust everything accordingly. Because they have like no money to make that movie. That movie's made on a shoestring and a prayer. Um, but that movie does so well that everyone gets a pay bump for the second one. And of course, Robert Downey Jr. gets a substantial pay bump because uh, his yeah. is the performance that sells that movie. And he's back after yeah. that performance. Iron, at first Iron Man, he's back. Robert Downey Jr. is back bigger than he ever fucking was before. ever. And he was pretty big before. He was. He had like less than zero. Chaplin, like yeah. your boy was in a uh, fucking Saint Elmo's Fire, like fucking yeah, everything. Yeah, Saturday Night Live, where he was one of the worst cast members <laughs> on that show's in that show's history. He will tell you that he's yes. the worst. <laughs> yes, yes, he will. He absolutely will. Um, but like that's the yeah. He and but so Terrence Howard asks for a commensurate pay bump. So basically, he's like, I want to be making as much as Downey, and they're like, You're not making as much as Downey. And so he he said he expected Downey to like stick up for him a little more and is apparently hurt that Downey didn't. Um, but they basically were like, look, you were not what made that movie successful. And to prove it, we're going to cast Don Cheadle. I mean, and they're not wrong. Like I said, Terrence Howard deserved every dollar that he got from that first film. But to go into the second one thinking that you're going to make more than Robert Downey Jr., the person who fucking slayed that or first at movie, least as you're much out of your as, mind. Right. Terrence Howard, you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself, man. What are you thinking, man? As, like, no. as, as you said in that first movie, Terrence, you got to have time to get your mind right. Yeah, dude. But look, I and I, wow. I feel I, what a I crazy really, expectation. What I really anybody. hate is what that did to his career, because after that, he just yeah. kind of like. Me on Empire. Empire. Was I was going to say, I need to watch it. I was actually just thinking, I need to watch Empire because I've heard he is incredible Empire's in Empire. Shit. Yeah. And of course, Empire also has my my goddess woman Taraji P Henson in it. I yeah, fucking I adore. Love her too. She I was adore great in Hidden Figures, dude. Go watch so Hidden much. Figures right now. I you know Bye, everybody I can't watch figures. that movie. Janelle Monet because she's too hot and you might die. I mean, yes, but no. The actual reason why I can't watch that movie. Oh, you motherfucker! It's come on. He's barely in it. I don't care. He's in it. That's enough. <sighs> Steven, this is arbitrary. You're hold. You're you're willingly holding yourself back from watching great films because you feel like you have to stick to this thing that you don't even 100% believe in. Steven, come on. I'm a contrarian by nature, sir. I will do I as I that. please. But let me speak to the artist in you, Stephen. Let me speak to the person who appreciates good film. Are you getting ready to call Kevin Costner an artist? I did not say that. I also did not say that he was not an artist. Uh, That does not matter in the context of this conversation. Um, See Hidden Figures, dude. Dude. Yeah, maybe. Not only is it an amazing movie, but it's an important... movie it told me things that i did not know and that's history and it's important history and it fucking matters i do i do love all three of those main actresses though like octavia spencer and taraji p henson and janelle monet like yes 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 absolutely you're right though janelle monet is too hot she's too she's too fucking hot 
can't. That's why I can't. I can't even fuck with her anymore, dude. Because back in the day, like she was a stone cold fox, mm-hmm. but like she was wearing like suits with bow ties and stuff. Now she's half naked everywhere. Mm-hmm. Got them titties out all over the place, Stephen. Bless her, but also. And I can't- I can't, Steven, I can't handle it. I can't fuck with her anymore, dude, because it's too much. It's too much. I can't handle it. She's just so fine. She is. So fine. She's fine as hell. I can't handle it, man. I just got to separate myself from it completely. I don't don't fuck with her anymore. I can't do it. I I mean. She's too hot, Steven. Too hot. Too hot. Too talented. Too just. She's everything. She's the whole package. And yeah. to, to go out there and just be like that beautiful? No, I can't handle that. Get mm-hmm. out of here, Janelle Monet. Better look, go on somewhere, girl. She's better go on somewhere. She's crazy, crazy attractive. Look, it's that's just that's it, man. Like I, I don't tell you. Not like, since Erica Badu, Stephen, have I been so smitten. Uh, I just this second learned that she and uh, Tessa Thompson broke up earlier this year. Sounds like we've got a chance, Stephen. I I don't know about we. Um, you maybe you <laughs> maybe, but me absolutely not. No, no, God, no. Um, no. but Godspeed, <sighs> man. Um, I you have my blessing. Um, but yeah, no, she's 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 fine as hell. Absolutely, uh, Janelle Monet would have loved her to be in this movie. She's not though. Um, but Cameron Diaz for some reason. And that's not that we don't we we love Cameron Diaz. Yeah. Cameron Diaz is shit. She just yeah. she it's just like why is she movie? here? Why is she here? And look, like this the one the one the one thing I like about her in this movie is that they do the obvious thing instead of the expected thing. Like she has a crush on Cato and wants nothing to do with Brit. That makes sense. Well, I Within do, the I do context think of the world and everything else. That's the one thing that she does contribute to the narrative of this film or her character. Like I said, I don't want to disparage right. Cameron Diaz. She's great. She was great in this movie with whatever she had. With I what, guess. very little she had to work uh, with, yes. But I think uh, the only thing that she really did to progress the plot in this movie was to show how much of just a misogynist dick Mm-hmm. that Brit is or and not even I don't even know that he's misogynist or a dick but just so not self-aware right like the way he acts in those first scenes with her mm-hmm. that's fucking repulsive dude. he's gross and fucking and if repulsive she, if she were to fall for him as a result of that we'd all I be crying bullshit but I she doesn't like this movie she's with if, if she she's did, with yeah. the nice intelligent athletic Cato Instead that would be a deal breaker for me. The rich asshole. And look, like this film could have gone a lot further in the billionaires or millionaires or assholes vein. And I think if this movie had been made today, there is actually a reboot in the works, apparently, as of last year. Oh boy. Uh Lee Wanell is set to direct. Um oh, cool. so that's apparently a thing that's in that is on its way to development hell, I'm sure. Um I can't wait. Yeah, but I'm and I'm sure that movie would probably be a little more. Um, I think that movie would do a lot more, both with regard to Asian representation and uh, amplifying Asian voices, and uh, more in the kind of eat the rich vein. I think we'd we'd probably have our shoes in both of those worlds. Like, there's a lot more 
I think watching this movie in 2023, I feel like there's a lot more they could be doing, but it still feels pretty progressive for 2011. But and and your boy's progressive as fuck. But does it does this does the Green Hornet need to be though? I think we would want it to be. Some 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 of us would want it to be. I think. I think, but see that's the thing. Or if at you least take to away, call it out. I get that, but but to take away, like, to take the Green Hornet away from it because the the rich white asshole is the green hornet and even though he's an asshole he's a good guy just like his father in this movie that's that's what i thought was kind of really cool about the way how they did that because brit is a complete dick but he's trying to do something good right just like his fucking dad and i I don't know if i'm not going to say that it's not something that you would want to do in a green hornet movie but i don't know if it's something that you would really be able to successfully do in a green hornet movie I you know think, what I mean? I think is it needed? Be... Maybe. Should you do it? Maybe. But is it going to work? I don't know. I mean, because we even do. We, I don't like we never interrogate that. Really? We we try a little bit with Tony Stark, but he's kind of him and Bruce Wayne are our kind of other rich guy. Asshole characters and i think we're only now starting to interrogate that in batman when we have george lopez and blue beetle saying batman's a fascist thank you george lopez i've been saying that for years as have a lot of people honestly (laughs) that i remember that conversation really rearing its head when the dark knight came out like people going wait is batman a fascist that was the whole point of that fucking movie yes and then there are people who are looking at it and not seeing that that's the point. And then people looking at it going, yeah, that, that exactly. That's what he's saying. Yeah. But of course, but wow. of course the people completely missing the point and going, hell yeah, Batman are the people who are now actually fascists and have worked on ushering in a fascist regime in America. Yeah. Yay. Which I mean, if we're going to call American pop, uh, am pop, then I think we need to call American fascism am fash. So am fash. Woo woo. I'm I'm anti am fash. I'm anti all fash. You could uh, say Stephen that I'm anti fascist. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> it's I, me. I'm the guy. You, you found me. Here I am. <laughs> oh, call the FBI! Oops, I can't believe I've done this. I can't believe I outed myself. Woo! Oh man, here they come. Black um, suits coming. <laughs> Nod your head. Yeah. Dude. Hell yeah. That's it. There you go. <laughs> Bringing it all back to Will Smith. Like as, I always do. As it, as it always should. Um, yeah. Big Willie. We could do a month of, of Will Smith movies if we really wanted to. Let's please. I have such, I have, I've, I've been with that man since the beginning, man. We, we grew up together 20 years apart. Here's the thing. I don't think we can pick up until wild, wild west. Wild, wild, wild. Which That's is cool. his, like his That's... first flop. Cause everything else has gotten a sequel. I do. That's my favorite Christmas movie. I can't wait to talk about that with we you guys. We will talk about it. Probably not during Christmas, though. I'm so excited. We have to. We'll talk about it later. We will. We'll talk about it later. I will convince you. I will not insist, but I will convince you that we need to do it during Christmas. Uh, we, so uh, we how how this gonna... movie do? I wonder how this movie did, Stephen. So this movie is made the 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 announced budget for this movie. The the movie that they told us it did. What the hell? Hang Double on. TF. What if we did it late November? Early January? That's close enough for me. 
I'm just I, trying to fill the dead air while you do whatever it is that you're doing right no, now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I there's like no there was no information for this movie on the numbers for a second. And I realized I had the wrong the wrong movie opened. Uh, so I that's can't on me. You've done this. I I I fixed it. This movie Wait, makes last about, week in November. This this <clears throat> go ahead. This movie makes ninety eight point eight million domestic off of an announced budget. Let me see if I can find the announced budget numbers, uh, the production budget of 110. So that is a projected uh, budget of 110. I've got um, estimated 120 on IMDb. Okay. I'm looking at the numbers. So they, yeah. there may be some discrepancies there. So, and yeah. that may factor in some of the additional costs like marketing and whatnot, because this movie yeah. was pretty heavily marketed. Yes, um, it was international. You got another 130. So really you're looking at about 230 worldwide. So it it makes its money back and it would have been a hit, but for the fact that the or would have been considered a a massive financial success, but for the fact that a the production filmed in Los Angeles, which is a notoriously expensive place to film, despite the fact that the film industry is located there, the tax benefits are shitty if they exist at all. Um, and secondly, the fact that they converted it to 3D, which was another ten million dollars. That was that was a ten million on top there. Yeah, yeah. And which, of course, this movie, this movie does not need to be 3D. In you fact, know, I'm going to go so far as to say most movies don't need to be 3D. No, no, they don't. Because I remember when that was all happening, where you wanted to go see all the every movie in 3D, mm-hmm. and I would notice it for about ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And unless they made some sort of effort, mm-hmm. like in Ghostbusters 2016, which was not a 3D movie, but it was converted to 3D, they at least made some effort. Like when they were doing ghostbusting scenes, like the proton streams would come like out of the frame and stuff. And that was fucking rad. They but did like, that with The Last Jedi, too. Like I saw that one in 3D and the when Ray's like balancing the rocks at the end of the movie, like they're in the audience. Like it's really fun. And that's cool. cool. But most movies with those conversions, they didn't do shit. They just they just converted it. They put it through a computer program, made shit pop out. Exactly. And after about 15 minutes, you forget that you're even watching the motherfucker in 3D. Yeah. Agreed. You just have some uncomfortable plastic glasses on your face and you can't take them off because then you won't be able to see the fucking movie. There have been two movies that I've seen in 3D that I was glad I saw them in 3D. The first Avatar, which I'm not a no, super did. big fan of, but the 3D like on to that see it in 3D, good. yeah, I would it, watch that motherfucker in 3D for sure. I don't even like that movie, but I'd watch it in 3D. My my friends and I were talking going out of the movie like I didn't like it, but I'm glad I saw it the way we did. Like I'm glad we paid the extra money to oh, see it the yes. way we did, uh, because I can't imagine trying to sit through that movie in any other way. Um, and then the second one was the first Doctor Strange, Scott Dickerson's uh, or Dickinson's um, whatever. Did they do is. anything weird with that or was it just a it's, straight conversion? Uh, I think it was a straight, but they all the shit with like the uh, like the Steve Ditko, like magic realm shit was like flying. Like past shit, you. Yeah. All the cosmic shit fucking ripped. Like it was so good. Nice. And then like the stuff in the mirror dimension, like particularly that first scene with like the ancient one and Kaecilius fighting. Oh yeah. And you got all that shit like folded. It looked it, that movie, that, that is rad. That was a fun one to see in 3d. Uh, but most of the other movies that I've seen in 3d, I, I, I did not necessarily like the experience as a whole. Um, There's just no reason for it. Right. So unless they, they, the, they unless need the to put filmmaker, some sort of effort. unless the filmmaker tells me that's the best way to see the movie, I'm not going to bother. 
So like if if someone like Ang Lee is like, hey, I made this movie with a like super high frame rate for 3D audiences. So see it this way. This is the best way to see it. I'm going to try to see it that way. Like, I'm going to try to go out of my way to see it the way he wants. Or like James Cameron, if I decide to go see another Avatar movie in theater, I'm going to see it in 3D because that's the way James Cameron told me I should see it. I should see it. But otherwise, I'm not going to bother. And if Jack Arnold is like, Stephen, the best way to see Creature from the Black Lagoon, 3D. What are you going to do? You have to. If he's telling me, I would. I would probably disagree with him going out of there, but I would see it that way. I disagree with your disagreement because you it's it's one of the few films that I've seen in uh, the red and blue 3D, which does not I've, I'm never impressed with that. It's the only movie I've seen in the red and blue 3D that actually I thought was it really benefited from it. Like it worked for me. OK, so I, I recommend it if you can if you can get a hold of it. You know, the one old, movie old I've seen in red and blue 3D. What's that? William Castle's 13 Ghosts. Fuck yes, dude. That's oh man. It was like a, it was a home video release, but still they like kept the the 3D the 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 red blue 3D and they gave you the Yo. Yeah. The the early um DVD release of the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise gave you 3D glasses with Freddy's Dead and nice. straight up fuck that movie, but also they they did a pretty good job with converting that. However, they had to do it. I don't know if they had a already had like a 3D print that they just kind of digitized or whatever. I don't know how simple or how hard it was. It, they did a really good job. Because mm-hmm. red and red and uh, blue 3D is kind of hard to make convincing. Yeah. Agreed. But that's yeah, creature Jaws, from Black Lagoon. See that's that why Jaws 3D doesn't work that well. But yeah. Uh, well that and it fucking sucks correct uh i think friend of the show mike snooney puts that at the bottom of his jaws rankings they're all at the bottom except the first one man that they, they all just like chill at the bottom there's no they ranking do. they're all just the worst except you, for the original you know what the second best the second best jaws movie is uh, watching joe, jaws again joe dante's piranha is the second there best jaws yeah, movie. Okay. I, yeah i'm way into that way into it um so yeah this movie uh yeah yeah, i'm sorry go ahead no but no but yeah you're right let's get back to the movie so this movie yeah it it makes about 2.3 million or 230 sorry million dollars worldwide again would have been a success but for the fact that the burden of expectation was so huge that they just couldn't make it they couldn't make it profitable uh profitable enough to spawn a sequel so they had a plan for a sequel they were gonna make it they completely shut down as a result Any details of the... on nope. what it was gonna no Mm-mm. fuck nope but they i mean they they it was like we're gonna do one obviously we're gonna do one this thing's and it was yeah. look it wasn't critically well received but audiences seemed to enjoy it like people went and obviously people went and saw the movie like it made 98 million domestic I feel like if it doesn't do like super fucking well domestic though, if it doesn't at least make its entire budget back domestically, it's pretty much not going to happen. And that's a trend I've noticed doing this show in particular. Well, and maybe that was the case then, but nowadays, Steven, you've got stuff like uh Warcraft. That's going to get a sequel. Is it? it Can I take that one off the list? It didn't do. Well, I've heard that they were planning one. Because of how well it did internationally, it didn't do shit domestically. Oh, I'm aware. But it did gangbusters everywhere else. 
that's the first uh, I feel like that's the first instance I've heard of that. But I'm saying maybe the tide is changing. It kind of has always been that way, though. Weird. Okay. Interesting. But yeah, I, I, but yeah, so that's that. So yeah, it doesn't do particularly well, or at least well enough for the studios to notice, but it does open number one, the weekend of January 14th, 2011. Uh, The other movie opening this week coming in at number two uh, was one time Green Hornet rumor, uh, rumory Vince Vaughn starring opposite Kevin James in a little movie called the dilemma. I've what never even heard of that. There was a dilemma. They're like business partners and Vince Vaughn's girlfriend is cheating on him and Kevin oh, James I'm already knows something asleep. about it. Yeah, it's dumb. I'm already asleep. <laughs> the rest of the top five are Oscar holdouts from the previous year. So in third place, we've got True Grit. Fuck yeah. Uh, in uh, fourth place, eventual Oscar winner, The King's Speech. Fuck yeah. And in fifth place, you've got uh, one of my partner's favorite movies, The Black Swan. Oh, I like that movie. I just like Darren Aronofsky. So does my partner. In general. He's a big Aronofsky fan. You know he's going to fuck you up. Yeah. Did you see The Whale? No, man, I haven't seen it yet. The Whale fucked me up. Look, it's Aronofsky, man, and I know it's going to fuck me up. That's why I haven't seen it. I will see it eventually when I'm ready to get fucked up, Stephen. As a a person of size and as a person... uh, who uh, came from a religious background? That movie fucked me up. Ten ways to Sunday. Um, oh, that's your that's your perfect double feature with Clerks Three, right? Oh God, right? <laughs> Clerks Three also fucking wrecked my shit, which is not <laughs> what I was expecting going into fucking Clerks Three. I need um, to see that again. By the way, I still also, haven't rewatched it. I saw it at the theater, but I still haven't rewatched. It. I need yeah, to. Oof. Also in the top or rounding out the top 10, we've got little Fockers in fourth or in sixth place, mm-hmm. Tron legacy in seventh down from four the week before in eighth place, mm-hmm. holding steady at eight future episode of this podcast, Yogi bear. Uh, good things come I in never bears. Saw that. Good things come in bears. Pears, I guess is what they're, I yep. guess that's the joke. So the poster for that movie is one of the most egregiously awful things I've ever seen. It is literally. Wait, isn't there somebody rad in that though? It, Wait, what's the poster? Tell me the poster. The poster is Yogi's face up top, Boo Boo's face at the bottom. So Yogi is standing directly behind Boo Boo, and the tagline at the bottom is "Good things come in bears." David Aykroyd as Yogi Bear, though. Mm-hmm. And who's playing? Have you Boo-Boo? seen this movie, Stephen? Have I've you seen not. this movie, Justin? No. Who's playing Boo Boo? Is though? this a good movie? Justin Timberlake. How's this not a good movie? What's the score? 38, 35? I don't know. I don't have that one pulled up right now. I'm I'm got on my green horn. Right what? Probably not a good movie, man. Damn it. What? Uh another Oscar player in at number nine, yeah, David please, Russell's move The on, Fighter. Uh, and speaking ooh, of Nicholas. Speaking of Nicholas Cage, the number ten movie, uh Season of the Witch. Yo, Nicolas have you Cage. seen The Fighter though, Steven? Of course I have. I that was okay. yeah. Okay. I saw that one in theaters. All right, right, right. Um, I was gonna say it's on my voodoo if you want to look at it, dude. No, no, no. Have have seen is good. Can can vouch is good. Like I always forget about that movie. Christian Bale and Melissa Leo both deserve their Oscars, although I am okay with Melissa Leo never getting another one. Um We've also got one of my favorite movies of that year at number seventeen, Blue Valentine. Speaking of movies that'll fuck you up. Fuck um, is that? 
blue that's the ryan gosling and uh michelle williams in a like a uh, a romantic tragedy, I guess, is kind of the right. You basically get to see a couple falling in love, intercut with a couple falling out of love, and it's—I've it's never heard of it. Fucking heartbreaking. It's really good. I saw that one in theaters with my friend Kelly, and uh, we both had a great time with that one. But it—it—it it, it absolutely wrecked my shit. And she and I left arguing over which one of them was actually at fault. Uh, so it's kind of oh, one of those it's... movies where you're like. Um, why, why is this thing like, why, why did this all happen? We basically watched the relationship fall apart and then they, he kind of leaves the burden of proof on you to determine if it should have, or yeah, I, I have to see that it's from the same director as the place beyond the pines. Did you it see is. the place beyond the pines, Steven? I did not. Fuck dude. Also starring Ryan Gosling. That's you got to okay. see that dude. All right. Same director, two years after uh, yeah. uh, the movie we were just talking about. Like, yeah. that's I'm pretty sure that's on my voodoo. Uh, Place Beyond the Pines. Yeah, right on. I'll check it out. He's only done four four movies. This guy, uh, he did a movie in '98 called Brother Tide, um, and then he did Blue Valentine, Place Beyond the Pines, and uh, his latest movie is in 2016. He does a movie called The Light Between Oceans. Nice. Uh, a movie I have never heard of, but stars a uh, real couple, Michael Fassbender and Alicia Vikander. So good for them. Nice. Um, but yeah. So, oh, he's he's supposed to be the director of the Ryan Gosling Wolfman movie. Oh, is that still happening? Apparently. I mean, there's a writer's strike going on right now. It's so probably not right now, but. Yeah, that's well, supposed I mean, to be happening. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, and he's right he's attached to the rock. So that that sounds fucking great. I like that a lot. Um speaking of like uh directors who you wouldn't expect to make that kind of a mainstream jump, but yeah. Um the Tomatometer score for the Green Hornet is a 45% with the critics consensus being it's sporadically entertaining, but the Green Hornet never approaches the surreal heights suggested by a Michel Gondry Seth Rogen collaboration, which um absolutely fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Metascore is a 39 based on generally unfavorable reviews from 39 critics. Uh, and the Letterbox score is a 2.4. Tucker out of five stars. What are you rating? Michelle Gondry's 2011 Green Hornet. I'm going to give it a three. Uh, which is Tom, ironically three. exactly what I gave it. Nice. Like this movie is, is got, is giving strong three energy for me. It's not great, but it's not as bad as I remembered. And again, I don't know if that's just because in a land of homogeneity, anything heterogeneous just feels good. Um, but it, it's definitely better than I remember it being in from, from two, my 2011 perspective. So I'd say it's a once in a decade watch. Once yeah. every decade. I'd watch it about every 10 years. And have that and, good that and Howard the Duck are going to be my on my decades list. There you go. There you go. Uh, and uh, yes, Stephen, The Place Beyond the Pines is on my voodoo. So check that out. Hell yeah. So now you just need to throw Blue Valentine up there. Actually, I'm sure Blue Valentine mm -hmm. is probably streaming somewhere. Is it on sale? I don't know. I like it when voodoo has sales. <laughs> I don't know. You, you got voodoo up. You pull that. I'll look and see if it's actually streaming anywhere on... Um, I will tell you, Blue Valentine, not a feel-good movie. Uh, I do love all. me some Michelle Williams, though. I'm I'm saying. I cannot um, deny Blue Valentine Michelle Williams. is currently on HBO Max. 
Well, let me go ahead and add that to your to list. list. What was the thing I added before? Uh, DuckTales 2017. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. A thing you absolutely need to watch. He, he did write the film Sound of Metal. He didn't direct it, but he did that, that same director did write the film Sound of Metal. Which uh, is apparently really fucking great. And it has a Criterion 4K release that I apparently need to get. So there you go. Yo, Criterion. Oh, did you miss the sale? That was like a two or three day sale. It's like 35% off all the 4Ks. Did you get that? Oh, um, I no, I email? miss I I always wait for the 50% offs. That's just it's just more but... like they'll do a flash sale here in probably another month. Sometimes, Sometimes you month. need it though. Sometimes you need it. Sometimes I look, I, you need someone Louise on 4K. I'm just saying. I bought six six D- Blu-rays and 4Ks uh, during the Barnes and Noble sale in July, so I'm that that tided me over. I, I bought a lot of stuff I needed then, so we're good. Yeah, I can't wait till next month, dude, because next month Criterion is going to be sending direct to me the day they drop La Bamba and the trial. Orson Welles' The Trial. I'm, not, I'm fucking trial. getting that in 4K. Not trial. It's 4K as fuck. Mm-hmm. I watched the Citizen Kane 4K not too long ago, and it it it's so it looks so good. It looks so good. My favorite thing to watch in 4K are black and white movies. Mm-hmm. Because you know how in 4K, like it almost seems like the brightness can be adjusted in certain parts of the screen. Mm, black and white movies, dude. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can see right through them and I love it. It's love it. It's I mean, and I look, I think black and white is such a great way to watch a movie because you there you don't have to be distracted by the colors. You can just focus on the performance. And that's absolutely Orson Welles used to call black and white the actor's friend, and it's a hundred percent true. So I agree. I agree. Which is, I'm I'm convinced the reason why the artist won all those fucking Oscars, because that's not that good of a movie, but it was in black and white, and so you really got to focus on the performances, and they looked better than a lot of other things because it was less distracting. That's an interesting theory, Stephen, and I think I subscribe to that. It's literally one I just came up with. So I did that thought Love just it. occurred to me, and I was like, you know, that probably had something to do with it. Dear listeners, you just witnessed the creation of a take. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this movie's on freebie right now, free with ads. Uh, so if you're not too precious to be bothered by ads, uh, check it out because it's it's kind of fun. It's pretty all right. Yeah, it's it's a bit of fun. So yeah, absolutely. There are check way it out. worse ways that you could spend two hours. Correct. Way worse. Ways. Correct. So there you go. Uh, that's that. And that is our episode on 2011's The Green Hornet. Um, this is the Disenfranchised Podcast, the thing you've been listening to. Uh, we exist on all social media platforms. We are on Twitter. Well, not all, but most Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Facebook, uh, Threads. And I think that's all right now. As soon as I'm able to get a Blue Sky invite, or if you want to send us a Blue Sky invite, uh, hit us up. We'll get on Blue Sky too. Uh, but we are I want to be on Blue Sky. Yeah, Tucker also wants that for us. Um, but yeah, uh, shoot us. Uh, you can shoot us an email or that blue sky invite to uh, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Uh, along with anything else that you want to let us know, you can tell us how we're doing, what you like about the podcast, a movie that you would love to see us cover one day, how your most recent doctor's appointment went. Like, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want to talk to about, we're exactly. here. Exactly. And you know what? If it's appropriate, we'll read it on the air. Some, maybe, maybe even if it's not, who knows? 
Um, yeah, we won't give out your personal information or anything, but yeah, just. But we yeah. will air your dirty laundry for sure. If if that's what you want us to do, we'll do it. Yeah. Hell yeah! You want us to propose okay. to your to your partner on our show? We'll do Maybe. that. We'll do that. I'll do that. And as a matter of fact, I'm ordained. I will marry you, motherfuckers. There on you go. The show. You can. We can yeah. have a special patrons only episode of your wedding, unless you want it main feed. Then we'll put it on main feed. You can invite the entire disenfranchised podcast to your wedding. Yeah, dude. There you go. Make sure there's a vegetarian option, though. Please, please. Your boy's gonna you. come hungry. Your mm-hmm. boy's gonna come hungry. Yeah. So there you go. Um, but yeah, so that that is apparently yeah. So shoot us an email. Let us know if you want us to get give you a disenfranchised themed wedding. Uh, <laughs> Brett and I will host the reception. <laughs> No, Brett will DJ. I'll host the. I'll, I'll MC your reception. I've just yeah. volunteered Brett to DJ. Uh, it, I hope you like Ice Nine Kills. Um, Wowzers! <laughs> Some people um, do. Yeah, they do. Uh, Brett does absolutely. Um, also, and and Ray Parker Jr. Also, I uh, hope you like Ray Parker Jr. because he will at some point <laughs> absolutely be playing the Ghostbusters theme. Um, you got to. You can uh, find us on Patreon. Tucker and I just recorded a, a fun hour plus long episode of our weekly Patreon only show. What are we watching? Where we talk about all the various things that we were watching, uh, including an extended conversation about just any other bullshit thing that we talk. It, it's a hot mic segment that just kind of becomes us talking about what we're what we're watching, which is kind of fun. Um, but yeah, and uh, check us out patreon.com slash disenfranchpod for just $5 a month. You get access to that plus any other content that we release. Sometimes it's behind the scenes stuff. Sometimes it's other things. Um, sometimes it's one of our like five um, like just Patreon exclusive shows that we will release whenever we feel like it. Um, so, you know, oops, all video game corner, oops, all Christianity corner, disenfranchised, unenfranchised, just as the mood strikes, we will do. Um, but yeah, that's that's all there behind that paywall. And there are literally hours of content available for you back there. Uh, Patreon.com slash disenfranch pod there. Uh, you can also rate us. Please rate us five stars uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever podcast your app that you use. Uh, help other people find us so that we can... Um, you know, be heard by, by more people. Uh, our numbers are slowly rising. There are dozens of us dozens. Mm-hmm. And for that, we thank you. And we would like there to be, uh, you know, maybe a few more than dozens. So, you know, help us, help us hit that goal, please. And thank you. Um, Cause we would very much like to be in that camp with you. Um, but yeah. So um, please do that. Um, I'm your host. My name is Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, letterboxd, and uh threads and blue sky at chewy walrus uh you can find our absent co-host brett wright on instagram and letterboxd at sus underscore warlock uh tucker where can we find you on the social medias these jolly green days um on youtube uh, at ice 909 i-c-e-n-i-n-e the number zero and the number nine uh also things be popping over at tux mugs on instagram that's at tuck underscore mugs um we're still we had it we had a guest mug that wasn't like one of us the other day man it was one of the listeners and it was great and it it was a great story and it really fit the format and i i had a lot of fun with it we all had a lot of fun with it everybody at the tuck mugs crew 
we all had a, a, a good laugh and guffaw and, and just a, 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 an appreciation for what was done with that post. We quite enjoyed it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a good time. So yeah, that's all the places I am. That's all the places he am. So there we go. That is our Green Hornet episode of the Disenfranchised Podcast. Uh, This is that's what this has been. Um, I'm your host Stephen Foxworthy for my co-host Tucker and the absent Brett Wright. Until next time, you just got stung.